0: That video describes some things that are happening in our world today and something that is going to happen in our world one day. This morning we want to speak about looking forward to his coming back. Your scripture will be from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. In the bulletin you'll have a copy of a sermon sheet where you have the scriptures on paper We'll have them on the screen for you also Some of them And then you can take some notes Also for the unusual thing I did today Because of the topic and some scriptures I'm drawing from At the welcome counter There's a blue paper there With the scriptures um, that will be using Supplemental scriptures not on the found the sermon sheet If you like swing by and get one I think you'll find them interesting and worthy of your study I'll say it now and I'll probably say it a little bit later, but the thrust of the message today is hope. It's hope. Her story goes something like this. Flashback probably 20 years ago. I was pastor at the First Baptist Church of Cobden. Been in the community long enough to where I was kind of the community pastor. The funeral home would often call uh, me to do funerals that... There was not a pastor. One day I got a phone call. Dwayne, lady died. Didn't have a church. Didn't have a pastor. Would you be willing to do the service? And I said, yes. So I met with the family. I tried to do that. I, I tried even families I don't know, I tried to meet with them. Get the life story a little bit so we can make it personal. And also, I try to find out the spiritual condition of the person. And so... I sat down we got this, you know, the I like to eat spaghetti and I like fried chicken and she liked country music and, you know, those kind of things. And then I said, well, tell me spiritually, um, was was your mom a believer in Jesus Christ? And she said, uh, not that I know of. And I said, so did she have a church membership somewhere? I mean, did she ever go to church even as a child? No. Do you have any indicators that would indicate that she had some kind of relationship with God? No. So I went home, wrote up the life story thing I do sometimes for funerals. And you might say, well, Dwayne, what do you do in a case like that? Well, you preach God's love. You preach that God loves you, you. know, Funerals really are not for the dead person. They're for you. And so I preached about God's love for those people. And. At the end, as pastors do, I went to the head of the casket and stood there. And the family came by and the friends came by, those that were there. And then the daughter came up. I don't remember. She was probably maybe 35 or 40 years old. The mom wasn't that old. And she was really close to her mom. And so she's standing there weeping and crying. And it just kind of you know, grew, Brent, bigger and bigger. And so finally... Just almost an act of, of emotion and desperation. She literally reaches down to the casket and grabs her mother's body. And as she does that, she turns her head towards me as I'm standing at the head of the casket and says, Pastor, please give me some hope. That was her story. And there was no hope that I could give her. Go back. 11 years ago now. It's 9-11, a beautiful Tuesday morning. Skies are crystal clear. The world seemed pretty normal that day. Our president was down in Florida reading to kids. How, you know, how American is that? And then suddenly an airliner flies into a building. Another airliner flies into a building. An airliner flies into the Pentagon. And one is you know forced to crash in a Pennsylvania field. And our world fell apart. I mean, there was a lot of people who really thought it was the end of the world. And, and if you remember the song uh, America, and it's in there, it says, talking about America, it says, your alabaster cities gleam undimmed by human tears. Speaking about the fact that America had never been attacked. And that day it all changed. America was attacked. And many people, if you, if you remember the, the faces of the people in the video, you some saw, saw some in the video, they were, they were hopeless. Airlines were grounded. And we didn't know if our world would ever be the same, and truthfully, it has not been. Go back four years ago. We were fighting two wars. The housing market had just collapsed. Greed and corruption in the banking industry... Our economy was just falling apart. And on a platform of hope and change, the Democrat candidate ran with all his charisma and said, there's hope. There's hope. And four years later, we know that the answer is not in a man. Because many of us, many of our nation are still going, where is the hope? And yours may not have been the death of a mother that was lost, and it may not have been 9 /11 in, in its truest sense. It may not have been you're placing your hope in a presidential candidate, but in your life. you're sitting there today and you're going, "Where's the hope?" In this crazy world that I'm living in, marriages are falling apart. Families are falling apart. Perhaps today you've lost your job and you're saying, "How am I going to provide for my family?" Perhaps you've been to the doctor this week or you're going this week and the prognosis is not good. Maybe you've been to the funeral home this week. As in the case with Cindy Palmer and her death. and Her family went there and, praise God, she was a believer, but it just seemed like death won again and you go, where is the hope? And that's the thrust of the message today. I want to tell you that because of Jesus Christ, there is hope. In fact, in Titus chapter 2 verses, uh, verse 13, Paul writes to this young pastor. And by the way, he's pastoring in Crete and it is a hard pastorate. It's a difficult place to be. And here's what Paul the Apostle said to that young preacher boy. Looking for the blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said to Titus, Titus, in your hard place, there's hope. Because our God is sovereign. And our God is in control. And our Savior is coming back. Hey, Titus. This is not all there is. There's a whole lot more. Writing a letter to another church, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. Now, this was a better place. The church had a great reputation of of their... They were really an infant church, but they really had grown and they were eager in in their fellowship with Jesus Christ. But like a lot of young Christians, and perhaps a lot of us today, they had questions. Apparently, and we don't have that letter to Paul, but apparently they had written Paul and said, "Hey, Paul, you know, we, we this Jesus thing's kind of new to us, and, and you know, the, what about what about our loved ones who died? What happens to them, Paul? But how does that work?" And so Paul, in answering that, brings hope and introduces a phenomenal concept of hope called the rapture or the catching away of the church. So what we have in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 then is his answer, Is there any hope? And I pray, my prayer would be, my challenge to you today is, is that today, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior... That you will leave here more hope filled than when you came in. And if you have never met Christ, that today you would start down a journey of hope because of God's amazing grace by receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. We read these words. Each one of the verses, each one of the phrases in First Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 are, are pregnant with meaning. They're just full of meaning. We, we read these words. Paul says, now, concerning the question you asked about loved ones, he says first, but we do not want you to be uninformed. Paul said, I, I know you're new at this Jesus walk, and you've got lots of questions, and of course, this is the, the Bible's being written as, as he's writing it. It becomes the Word of God, inspired by the Word of God. And so that's why we have it today. And and Paul says, now we don't want you to be ignorant about this. We don't want you to be uninformed about this. And I want to tell you this. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's something really profound read your Bible. God does not want you to be uninformed. And you can depend on Dwayne or David or Brent as we present the word of teaching, the word of God here uh, at our church. You can listen to your pastors, uh, your John Hagees or whoever on the television. That's wonderful. But nothing will replace your knowledge discovered by you in the word of God. So in these days of craziness, find time. To read the Word of God. Because God does not want you to be uninformed. I believe the King James says, I don't, God doesn't want you to be ignorant. He gave us the Word of God to give us information about things we need to know. So, he said, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren. Now, that, that gives you a hint, the word brothers there. And, of course, in the Greek it is brothers, but it's understood that Paul's writing to brothers and sisters. Okay? So, it's a family affair. That whatever Paul is fixing to say is written to a group of people who have made a conscious commitment to follow Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here and you've not made that commitment, then you can learn today about how to do that and about what's involved when you do. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's power in family. There's hope in family. When you become a member of the family of God, there's hope. Amen? There's hope. So he says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, here it is, about those who are asleep. Now, the word asleep is used metaphorically in the New Testament as death. Okay? And we're going to talk about, he's not saying that people who die are still sleeping out here in Sunset Lawn Cemetery. In fact, I'll just go ahead and take you there. If you look at the last part of verse 14, it says, God will bring with him those who are asleep. So, he's not the word sleep there doesn't mean that your relative is out there in the graveyard. He's not. The body is, but that personality is not. That person is not. What made that person a person is not. Okay? So, note this, though. In, in our Western culture, we have this horrible habit. I've been hitting this pretty hard because I'm trying to get you to understand that we've been told by some pastors... That the Bible teaches, and it does not, that if you trust Jesus Christ, that you won't have crises. You won't have trouble. That all of a sudden, all your loved ones, well, you'll never say you know goodbye because they never die. You never get sick. You never lose your job. All your kids grow up not needing braces and have scholarships. The only trouble is, it's not true. We each one, even though we trust Christ, still live in an imperfect world and will have challenges. This is the hard part. Father filtered. In other words, filtered by our Father. He allows things to come to our life. Some are our natural consequences, such as death. But the bottom line is, God filters everything. He is sovereign and he's in control. So, so these guys were young Christians, but they had lost loved ones. And because of what we're talking about here, the way it's printed, that they knew Jesus, but they died. So so everyone's going to lose loved ones. But watch how everything changes. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Paul says when you lose loved ones, even if they're in Christ, you're going to grieve. Death hurts. Some of you went to the funeral home this week, as I mentioned with Cindy Palmer. Death hurts. It hurts when you see your, your loved one there. I saw my dad. I've seen my brother. I've seen my, my um, mom, dad, brother, and, and Judy's um, a brother-in-law, and a sister-in-law. And it stings. But I want to tell you something. When you enter Jesus Christ in the equa- equation, it changes everything. We grieve, but not like men, with no hope. You will grieve in this world, but when you put Christ in the equation, you don't grieve like those without Christ. I mean, again, if I, if I had a $100 bill, and I was walking to church this morning and somehow it fell out of my pocket and I got to church. And y- as you all know, me and money are pretty good friends. You know, And I went there and my $100 button bell, Peter, poo, poo, I lost my $100. I, hey, good morning, Pastor. How are you? I lost my $100. Brother Wayne, how was your vacation? I lost $100. I mean, you know, that, you grieve that way when you lose something forever. But what if I took that $100 and put it in the bank? I would probably still grieve because I couldn't use that hundred dollars, but I knew where it was and it was safe. Paul's saying that we lose loved ones when they die in Christ and we're in Christ. We are still there for a time of separation and we grieve for that time of separation. But we don't grieve like we'll never see him again because we will. We will. Amen. Yeah, come on. That's good news. Well, unless it's your mama in law, then it may not be such good news. So we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, like those about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. Now watch, here it is, here's the key. But since we believe remember he's talking about believers in Christ, but since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, time out, there's the power. We believe that on an old rugged cross God incarnate. David mentioned it in his his presentation today. You know, God incarnate. God in the flesh. Born of a virgin. Sinless life. Born literally to die for my sins and your sins. He was a man on mission. It was not a murder. It was not a martyr. He went to the cross to die for us. That we can have relationship with God through God's amazing grace. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 So, because Christ died, there's hope. Come on now. Because Jesus died, I can call God Father. And I don't mean in a universal sense. I mean in a personal sense. Again, we've been talking about this. You know, Paul said, Abba, Father. We have the right to call God Daddy. And that's literally from the Greek. I'm not being loose with the Scriptures. That's what it means. How incredible is that? We believe Jesus died, but it doesn't stop there. Come on now. He goes on and says, we believe Jesus died, but he rose again. You know what? Check your Google this. How many religious leaders claim to have died and come back to life and live forever? That would be one. And his name is Jesus Christ. It's not the fonder, it's not the Hinduism that you recycle yourself and recycle yourself and recycle yourself. It's not Muhammad, a a prophet who died and has stayed dead. It is Jesus Christ, God incarnate, King of kings, Lord of lords, who died and by God's power resurrected again and said that gives us hope because if he did himself, he's going to do us too. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, there's hope in that. We believe Jesus died. He made it possible for ordinary guys. All the people who sinned. Again, looking at 300 sinners today. All have sinned. He made it possible for sinners to be forgiven and made holy by a sacrifice. And because of that, we're going to get resurrected. Which is the context of First Thessalonians 4:13. It's incredible. We believe Jesus died and rose again. And even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Which again means, your loved one's not out in there. The temple he used is there, or she used is there. But that person, the essence of that person, is of God Almighty. And with that thought, he introduces the most incredible promises of the Word of God. He introduces the teaching of the rapture of the church. Now, the word rapture, you won't find a Greek word for it because it's not in the Bible. But, but we, find, we get it from where he says that we shall be caught up. The word rapture means caught away or caught up. So Paul introduces the concept that there is coming a day. And because this is God's word, it's not, some, you know, it's not a, a science fiction article in science fiction today. Because it's the word of God... It can be based on as truth. In fact, he says, we got a word from the Lord. So this rapture is coming. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, okay, and if you're not, you're going, huh? Well, if you're one of the ones that have not trusted Christ yet, hang on. We're going to talk a little bit about this. But many of you have heard enough about the rapture to know some things about it. So he introduces this thought about what is the rapture. So we moved in now to verse number 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. So, Paul received this from God. Well, how do you know that, Duane? Well, believe it by faith. But we believe Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote some of the word of God. Okay, so we take this as the word of God. A word, uh, by, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, time out. Whatever Paul is fixing to say involves... Two smaller groups of a larger group. The larger group is every believer in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to fall in one of these two categories. When this rapture thing happens, when the catching away happens, either you're going to be dead or you're going to be alive. There are no other options. Come on now. There are no other options. Either you're going to be dead when this happens, okay, or you're going to be alive when this happens. And Paul simply starts by saying, I'm going to explain this to you, he says. But the bottom line is, you need to know this. The dead folks get priority. That they're going to rise first. And if you're having to be alive when the rapture happens, you're going second. That's just what that verse means. He said, listen, we we who are alive will not proceed. I think King James says, will not prevent those who are asleep, who have died in Christ. And then he describes, look what he says. For the Lord Himself. Now, this is one job that Jesus isn't going to send an angel. This is one job that Jesus is going to do Himself. One of the analogies of the Bible is that He's the groom and we're the bride. And if I was getting, you know, if I was getting married today, I'm already married 36 years of Pooter. I wouldn't get send Brent to get my bride. I'm going to get my own bride. Well, the Bible says that He, Christ Himself, will come. He's not coming. It's not the, quote, meek, mild Jesus. He'll be coming as the victorious Jesus over death, sin, and hell. He'll be coming, leaving His throne in a place called heaven, where He sits at the right hand of the Father, And one day the father's going to say, son, go get your children. And he's coming. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. In other words, he's coming in the clouds. And here's what it says. With a cry of command. and, And frankly, we don't know if this is three sounds or one sound. But a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. It's going to be a noisy affair. We don't know if it's going to be just Christians will hear the noise or the world's going to know. We don't know. I mean, there's some things we just don't know. But we know this, that Jesus Christ is coming. And when He comes, for those with an ear to hear, it's going to be noisy. There's a voice of command. With the strength of the archangel and a trumpet. i will talk about Dave Valentine. With the trumpet of God. I don't know if it's, hey, y'all get ready. I don't know if it's da 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 I don't know if it's a charge. But Jesus is coming, and he's coming for every person who knows him as Savior and Lord. He's coming. He's coming. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and here we go. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, I've already told you, based on verse number 14, that the soul and spirit of your loved ones has gone to be with Christ, with God. That soul and spirit comes back with Christ. And that old corrupt body is going to get up out of that grave and be glorified. I have people say, well, Dwayne, what about cremation? Have you figured something out? Do you understand that when you're in the grave for a hundred years, there ain't a whole lot left? I've got, got a feeling now. i just got a feeling if God can put something that's been in the grave a hundred years, can put that back together and glorify it. I've got a stinking suspicion He can put cremains back together. What about those who died at sea and became shark bait? I got a suspicion that if he can resurrect someone who has been in the grave for a hundred years, or someone who's been reduced to remains, I've got a feeling he can resurrect someone who's become shark bait. We're talking about God here. We're talking about God here. We're talking about God who can do anything because that's just the kind of God he is. So he's saying we're going to have a, these dead people are going to be resurrected and have a glorified body. Now, this is where I thought you might want some of the Scriptures. What is that body going to be like? Well, again, if you want to write these down, that's fine. But I do have the sheet. I've got a hundred copies out there for you if you'd like to have some of these. Well, first off, let's look. it's It's a body. Our body, their body, will be like the body of Christ when it was resurrected. In 1 John, in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, here's what John says. Beloved... Now, again, notice who he's talking to, those who have trusted Christ. Now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. In other words, I'm not sure how it all works out. But we know that when he is revealed, when we see him again, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So John teaches from the Word of God... Now, we may not know all the details, but as Christ and his resurrected body is, so we shall be. Now, what was Christ's body like? Well, I go, I go to, to uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 36 through 43. Let's just look. Now, Jesus has, has died and he's resurrected, but the apostles are still figuring all that out. Now, as they said these things in verse 20, 20, 36, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be to you. So they're having a meeting. They're sitting there talking and all of a sudden, whoo, there's Jesus. Would that be spooky? Well, that's what the Bible says happened. He just appeared. OK, and there he was. OK, now they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit wasn't a ghost. He said, H, capital H, He, Jesus, said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? He said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is me, myself. Touch me, handle me, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, You Baptists someone like this. You got any food? I, I'm sure in the Greek it translates, Do you have any fried chicken? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. As he is, so shall we be. So what do we learn about our new bodies? Well, we learn that they, and I'm going to talk about it in just a moment, but it, did not, it defies the law of physics. In other words, you can appear. Jesus appeared, so I think it's safe to say we could appear. It was a recognizable body. They just simply couldn't believe. But again, we're going to read another verse here in John chapter 20 in a moment. But they, they just couldn't believe it was Jesus because he had died. We know it's a body, though, That's he can eat. Isn't that incredible to you? Doesn't that just blow your mind? A body that can just appear. Whoo, a body that can be touched. And a body that eats food. And that was Jesus in his post-resurrection state. It gets better. Watch this. Verse uh, John chapter 20, verse 19 20. In the evening of the first day of the week, and this is just a... This is another account of the same event. In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together, now watch, with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came. <laughs> Have y'all got that figured out yet? You remember when you were out, hey kids, students, you remember you out on Friday nights and you don't think nobody's watching? He's watching. Hey, you, you guys, you guys, you get on your computers at night when your wife's asleep and you're doing your porn thing. Have you figured something out? He's watching. Do you think you can drive to Vegas and watch Days in Vegas, Days in Vegas? He's watching. He appears behind locked doors. He goes on and says this. Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. Having said this, He showed Them, his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus was recognizable. They knew it was Jesus. They couldn't believe it was Jesus. But they knew it was Jesus. Now why is that important? I'll tell you why. Because some of you don't understand that when we all get to heaven... You're going to know one another. Heaven is not going to be a place of strangers. You will know your, sir, you'll know your wife. You won't be married in heaven, but I believe you'll know that she was your wife on earth. You'll even, I believe, you know, those of you who have suffered through a miscarriage, I believe you'll know that's your child. It's incredible. That's, you know, if there's no other reason to go to heaven besides this, but the family reunions are incredible. In fact, Paul Paul said this in first Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see in a mirror dimly. In other words, we don't see clearly now. But then in the future, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. I'll be walked up and say, Hi, Mickey. I'll know Mickey was my friend on this earth. You don't want to miss this. Something incredible. This new body, some of you suffer with arthritis. That's all a thing in the past. Some of you wrestle with other ailments. You know, death is gone. Sickness is gone. Pain is gone. Separation's gone. Heartache is gone. The the, the sting of sin is gone. And the power of death is gone. You don't want to miss that. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you won't. You won't. So, so he says these, these dead in Christ are going to rise first with these wonderful, wonderful, glorified bodies. But he's not done yet, Miranda. You've got a loved one, don't you? Who knew Jesus? He ain't done. Anyone here have a loved one? Aren't you glad to know he ain't done? Mm-hmm. Then... Verse 15. Sorry, verse 17. Then we who are alive. Remember two groups. Those who die and those who are alive. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. There it is. Caught up. Raptured. Okay, that's where the word comes from. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we also. I <laughs> will get so excited. I can't read it. We. So we also always be with the Lord. I think I got it all right. How How incredible. I mean, first, and we don't know, by the way, I just want to tell you what we don't know. We don't know if graves are going to flop open or they're coming through the dirt. We don't know. But we know the dead in Christ rise with this, this great body that does all these things I described as more. And then, just like you saw in the, in the, in the video there of the church, bam, we who are alive are caught up together. With the Lord. And so shall we ever be? Eternity has begun. The kind of eternity that if you know anything about the Bible, you just can't wait to get there. You just can't wait to get there. How incredible is that, huh? How incredible. Now I know, but can I just say something? I remember Jennifer one day. She's a typical preacher's kid. She says, Daddy, I understand this rapture thing. He said, she said, but I, I kind of want to get married. <laughs> and I said, I know, I understand that. And I want to tell you, if you're 12 today and you got, you got know, plans to get married, so that's cool, that's cool. God, Yeah, that's cool. But I just want to tell you this. Heaven's a whole bunch better than even getting married. <laughs> better than having kids. Of course, that's not hard to beat sometimes. But you know what I mean. You know what I mean. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be wonderful. And Well, Dwayne, how, how fast does it happen? Well, listen to this. You know, it's funny how the Bible is just full of scriptures about this. Listen, this this is 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 55, through 55. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment. in the twinkling of an eye. Let me know how fast the twinkling of an eye is. Did you see it? Oh, there it went again. What? In the twinkling of an eye. He goes on and says this. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Hey, death, you're swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory and that's coming don't know when's it going to happen don't know I, 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 you want know, to do something funny google something like dates for the rapture and you're going to see a whole bunch of guys who were crazy and Jesus is coming back on August the 23rd, 1993. Jesus is coming back on, on July the 4th, uh, 1725. You know, on and on, all these dates and people say, well, I just know when it's going to happen. No, you don't. The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. We know when it's going to happen. We just know that it will. Now, there are two. Now, hang with me on this because I'm already out of time, so we've got to hurry but hang with me, is that there's two events coming up. The rapture and what the Bible calls the tribulation. And the tribulation is basically seven years of death, destruction, and judgment. Now, some people believe, and I have to be one of them, that the rapture happens and the tribulation starts. There's some people who say, nah, we're going to put the rapture in the middle. Okay? And then some people say, no, we're going to put the rapture at the end of the tribulation. Okay? Again, I believe, okay, that the tribulation starts after the rapture. Okay? So the church is caught up, and then the tribulation starts. Now, again, we don't know when this is going to happen. But if you, a casual reading of the New Testament, and I know this could be said during different ages of time, but a casual reading, reading the New Testament will tell you we are in the end times. It may be another hundred years and it may be tomorrow. It may be now. There's nothing scripturally that has to happen before the rapture of the church. The only thing that might be is found in, I think it's Matthew 20, uh, 24, where Jesus said that this gospel shall be preached to the entire world and then the end will come. That might be the only thing. There are some people groups who have not yet heard the name of Jesus. But there's nothing biblically that has to happen. Well, Dwayne, why do you, why do you think that it's going to be before the tribulation? Well, two, two good reasons. First off, it's the book of Revelation itself. You know, if you look at the book of Revelation, in chapter 3 it has the, the churches, you know, the church at Thessalonica, the church here, the church there and the church here. It's interesting to note that in, in chapter 4, well, let me read it to you. In chapter 4 it says this. After these things I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven... And the first voice which I heard was like a thunder, a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. Now, interestingly enough, after chapter 3, the church is never mentioned in the book of Revelation. That's significant. Prior to that, obviously, the story of the church is there. But once chapter 4 starts, and that begins the judgment, by the way, the church is not mentioned again in the book of Revelation. There's also another verse, and this is not the only ones. These are two, I think, are very strong. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 and 10, it says this, For God did not appoint us to wrath, aren't you glad? For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And that's the same book that talks about the rapture. So I think, I think we're safe in saying rapture, tribulation. We don't know when that's going to be, but we're seeing birth pangs right now. So as a believer, live with an eye to the sky. And that's hard in Western culture because there's so much to distract us. It's awful easy to live for what's here. Just remember, this is not all there is. In fact, it's kind of like the iceberg thing. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Our walk with Christ here is the tip of the iceberg. It gets really big in eternity. So so thank God for that. Thank God for that. So the next question is this. What about those left behind? Well, I kind of tipped my hand already. If you'll read some Daniel, and if you'll read, of course, the book of Revelation, and particularly the book of Revelation, you'll see that words almost can't describe the judgment that's going to fall on this earth after the rapture and during the tribulation, those seven years. The first three and a half are, are pretty bad, the last three and a half are unbelievably horrible. Imagine a world where the impression of God, the church, Has been pulled back out of. And it just sets up for evil. You think evil runs rampant now? You don't want to be here the day after the rapture. And it will be based on false promises. But in the end it is just horrible destruction. And that is for anyone who is left behind. After Jesus Christ comes. I would hope about right now. You are saying okay. Okay. What, you know, what if this is true? You know, you know, I, know, I know it sounds far-fetched, you know, but, but what if it's true? How do I go? <laughs> There's just one way. You've got to join the Baptist church. Give lots of money. No. No, 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 no. There is but one way. as Jesus Christ. It's believing and trusting. Again, it said, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Paul makes it clear. The, the, the way to heaven is believing that God himself, if you will, and it was Christ, God, carnate, died on a cross like this. He, he shed his blood that we could have forgiveness of sins because the, the wages of sin was death. And so God intentionally allowed his son Jesus to die that we could have forgiveness of sins and then resurrected the third day to give us hope, but also to prove He was the Son of God. I mean, a lot of guys died on a cross. Only one got up. Let me try that again. Lots of guys died on crosses, but only one got up. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Going to heaven has... This is cool. You're going to like this. Going to heaven has nothing to do with giving money, being baptized, joining any church. Or even, I guess you could say, going to church. I mean, I think you ought to go to church, but not go to heaven. Because again get ready for the earthquake you know i do this every once in a while you know i'm going to show you how close you get to heaven without jesus are you ready here we go that's it without jesus you won't make heaven but with jesus you will but but do you understand i have committed adultery zillions of times god can forgive that i was abusive to my children god can forgive that I've lied, I've stolen, I've cheated. God's grace can take care of that. His grace is sufficient. Ryan said it. He he said it in his judgment house thing. It's not what we do. It's believing in what he did. And receiving forgiveness. So how about you? For simplicity's sake, we'll go to two groups. Two very different groups. Today... If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today you know, by God's grace, you're going to heaven. I want to encourage you to be encouraged. In fact, verse 18 says this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I encourage you today that there's a better day coming. Some of your lives are so hard right now. There is a better day coming. And God will walk with you until that day comes. He will never leave you and He'll never forsake you. He is there and He loves you. If you know Christ, be encouraged with that. And let me encourage you this too. Live godly lives. Live godly lives. Oh, do I give you that rule-keeping thing? No. No, no, no. One, because the best life is the one that's lived in obedience to the Word of God. That's, that's, That's one thing. But there's a lot of people out there, and they're looking at us. And if they don't see reality and authenticity... They think it's all hokey. They think it's hokey. And they're going to die without Christ. So it's really important we live holy lives because it's the best life, but also it's a great witness to what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. If you're here today without Jesus, you know, in a few minutes, I'm going to have my my brother Brent stand down here. And there's no magic formula. And you, you don't have to go forward in church to discover Jesus. But we want to take the word of God. We've got some friends down here and just show you what it means to become a follower of Christ, to receive forgiveness based on what Jesus did you know, 2,000 years ago. That's why we ask you to come forward. And I'm going to have everyone bow their heads, so that's not an issue. In fact, if you say, I'm not going to walk forward, I don't care what you promised me. But grab me after church. Grab Brent. Grab Someone you came with today who knows Jesus, grab them and say, okay, okay, I want to know about this rapture thing, and I want to know about Jesus, and I want to know about sin and forgiveness. And we will take time and tell you exactly what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But let me close with this. You don't want to miss the rapture. And you don't want to miss heaven. You don't want to miss the rapture. And you don't want to miss heaven. And God, don't you have preachers that say, Well, let me say one more thing. And then we say one more thing. And another thing, another thing. I just love it. I want to make sure you understand this. God really doesn't care what color you are. <laughs> he doesn't care what you know, ethnicity you have. He doesn't care where what, what your address is, whether it's one of the nicer parts of town or one of the poor parts of town. He doesn't care if you're on public assistance or you got millions in the bank. He's not impressed or depressed. He loves you, and wants you to come in relationship with him. That's what we're talking about. Would you bow your heads right there, please? Father, thank you for the incredible privilege that's mine. To share these truths today. And I want to pray, Father, one for my brothers and sisters, us who know you, that Father will be encouraged today because, truthfully, and you know this, God, I'm not telling you things you don't know, I'm speaking it for their benefit. Sometimes the world seems pretty hopeless. Whether it's at the funeral of a loved one, whether it's a terrorist attack, uh, whether it's the current state of affairs in our country, we can get our eyes focused on the hopeless and start believing it. Lord, help us to choose to look for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, as our brother Paul wrote us. Help us to live godly lives that we might be a witness for those who have yet to meet the Savior. May we never be a stumbling block by our living um, for those yet to meet Jesus. And for my friends here today who may not know you yet, We believe that you draw men and women um, to the Savior, to your Son. I'm asking you, Father, to draw people to the Savior today. May today be the day that some or many place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we do pray this in your most precious name. Amen.